Turn with me to a book which is, um, I regret to say, neglected by the, um, the Protestant church. I want to look at the book of Jude. The book of Jude. The next three weeks, um, I wanted to have a superficial look at this uh, delightful little book. Tonight, I want us to uh, look at the first three verses. The NIV translated this way, Jude. A servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will please you. So grant unto us the spirit of knowledge and revelation that we shall know you better. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In the first three verses, I want us to note what I've called the, the incredible person. Jude. He's a fascinating character. He's a fantastic individual. And his introduction of his letter gives us some insight to his personality and also to his priorities. It is very evident that Jude is a very secure individual. He is not afraid to open up his heart and the way he does it underscores the, what kind of a man or what kind of a person he happens to be. And so let's wander through these verses kind of casually tonight and see what uh, the book says and how it can be applied to you and applied to, to me. Jude. Yehudas is the actual name. And the word and the name simply means reverencing Jehovah. As an aside, it is well for us to note something of great significance when we look at Jude. Because his name is an abbreviated form of the name of the man of infamy, Judas. In fact, the name would remind the church, especially the Jewish segment, of some of the painful implications of its past. 
because the name had begun to carry with it a number of negative connotations. Perhaps one ought to stop and comment about the fact this man rescues and redeems the name. One person personalized treachery and infamy. The other personifies loyalty and devotion. And it is the loyal person who is the author of this book. The redemption of a name, I think, is, is a valuable enterprise. There are many names, some of them families, some of them businessmen, some of them politicians, on far too many occasions that they have sullied their name and sullied their reputation. Sad to say, a similar thing has happened in the church. For one reason or another, by act of either deliberation or accident, some people have brought the name of the church into reproach. But in other instances, isn't it nice to know of people who redeemed a name? Ronald Reagan did this for America. The name of America was becoming a byword in the world. And President Reagan began to talk about it. And I'm not, being a, I'm not speaking politically, I'm speaking personally. He brought the name of America back to with its sense of grandeur, with its sense of hope, it being special and being renewed. Thank God for people who have the ability to redeem a name. And this is what happens in the life of Jude. He brings dignity back to the name that instead of being one of treachery, it really is one which exhibits reverence to and reverence of the Lord. And so I want us to look first of all at his posture what I call the unveiling of himself. Jude gives us a couple of personal insights as to his identity as who he is. And uh, because of the content of this letter, I recommend that between now and next week, you read the whole book. Like it's only just a little, little book. But read the whole book through. In fact, I recommend you read it several times through. And let the word of Jude flow over your spirit and quicken your mind to see the grandeur of this man who obviously loves Jesus and he loves the church. And so look how he introduces himself. His function, he calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now it's important to understand the heart of Jude as he documents his personal position, a bond servant. It is no small statement, it's not a casual expression. Jude a bondservant. The Greek word is doulos. And doulos 
means more than being a servant. It literally means being a slave. The fact is that Jude is underscoring the fact to his readers from the very beginning that he has surrendered his rights to the Lord. And in surrendering his rights to the Lord, he affirmed the fact Jude is his to command. And Jude is under his control. We used to sing a song years and years and years ago. Now, you young folk won't, won't know this song, but some of the old people, and of course, there aren't very many old people in the house tonight except me. But we used to, I used to sing a song, I have decided I'll follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. If no one joins me, count me in. I still will follow. I won't turn back. That's Jude's testimony. A man who had made an incredible commitment to the Lord and affirming not only his love for Jesus, but the, the value of the love of Jesus for his own heart. Now, in modern day, the word slave is, has some ugly connotation to it, and rightly so. But when it comes to looking at the term doulos in the context of Christianity, modern theologians are trying to soften the word and simply say that Jude was not really saying that he was a slave. He really meant that he was a, a servant. Or rather, they go further, rather being a servant, that he was involved in service. And that is, Jude is simply saying, Jude, I'm in the service of the Lord. Now, doesn't that sound nice? But I want you to know there's a big difference between service and being a slave. I had lunch today with a very famous pastor. And we had uh, a gentleman who served us. His name was Dallas. So when he looked at me and what to my name, I said Fort Worth. <laughs> He grinned. He appreciated the, the humor, I think. <laughs> he gave us service. He certainly was not our slave. If he'd been our slave, there would have been all kinds of things I would have liked him to have done. But he wasn't available as a slave. He was there to serve. And he served extremely well. And I submit to you, there is an incredible difference between being that of in service and being that of a slave. There are many in the church who are willing to do service. The number decreases drastically when it comes to who are going to be willing to be a slave. Now, I know that this never happened in Bethesda, but I know it has happened in other churches that I've pastored over the years, that you invite someone to do a job, and they simply say, oh, no, no, don't, don't, it's amazing how people speak in tongues when, when they... <laughs> when they try to get out of doing something. <laughs> and they are quick to volunteer the service of someone else. Let Joe do it. Or let Bob do it. But, oh, please don't ask me to do that. 
it's easy to volunteer for service. But it takes a different kind of heart and spirit to volunteer to be a slave. Our nation, since the late 60s, has become service-oriented. Sad to say that um, because there's been a transformation in industry, we have lost so many of the industrial aspects of, of our nation. And so now we, we just become a, a nation in which uh, we just serve. We, ju we just do things for people. That has its advantages, but it also has its disadvantages. Ern Baxter, who was a hero of mine, used to elucidate Romans chapter 6, verse 16, which simply says, Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And Baxter, with a twinkle in his eye, would look at a group of young students and simply say, everyone is a slave to something. There are no exceptions and there are no exception, I can't say the word. All are slaves to something. The nature of our slavery is determined by the identity of the master. Jude says, I'm a slave of Jesus. There's something which ought to resonate with your spirit when you hear something like that. And let the words of that little old song re-echo back in your mind. I have decided. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Now the Lord underscored the hardness of being a slave in a parable in Luke chapter 17. The parable is that of a, of a slave working in the field, like being out plowing or tending sheep all day, and he comes home at the end of the day, tired, weary, worn, and ready to uh, have a drink have a snack, and go to bed. And the Lord uses this parable. But which of you, having a slave, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come, immediately sit down and eat. Refresh yourself. The Lord said, rather, will he not say to him, Slave, prepare something for me to eat. Clothe yourselves properly as you serve me. And serve me until I'm satisfied. And then you may eat and drink. The Lord goes on. He does not thank the slave because he did the things he was commanded to do, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves, for we have done only that which we ought to have done. The Lord is speaking of servanthood, not service. For kingdom people, the word doulos means something much more than duty. 
it indicates delight. The delight is found in serving Jesus. In the late 70s, and I'm going to go back to the late 70s again, because, you know, when you get to my age, it's easy to live um, back there. But in the 70s, we used to sing a song. I delight in thee, my Lord and King. I delight in your presence, O Lord. And they'd repeat the refrain. And all the time, what you used to be doing was saying, Lord, I'm just happy to be in your presence. I'm just happy to be cognizant that you are near. And I am willing to listen to what you have to say. David's mighty men exhibited this uh, disposition. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we get the, the story or the record of the narrative. They heard David in a moment of nostalgia when he's reminiscing of other days. And he simply says, boy, it'd be nice to have a drink from the waters of Bethlehem. He is recalling his activity as a boy. He's recalling his activity before he'd become famous. He's recalling his activity before he'd become an outcast because of the anger and jealousy of Saul. He simply says, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I could go back there just for a moment? Older people often do this kind of thing. We remember fondly ancient times. We remember with great, the great sense of emotion and happiness. Boy, that was, that was a good day, brother. That was a great time. Ah, oh, I remember the joys of the charismatic renewal. When you could tell a lady who's charismatic because she wore a pantsuit. She carried a great big bag and she had bags underneath her eyes. The reason why she's carrying a great big bag was because she was carrying a tape recorder. The reason why she had bags underneath her eyes because she was up all night listening to tapes. Because they had come out from a dead religion, and they could not get enough for the word. They could tell what everybody else believed. They weren't sure what they believed themselves, but they could tell what everybody else was saying. I look back, and there are times I say, Lord, do that again. Do it where people will hunger for your word where people, when they come together, rather than simply saying, well, did you see what the cowboys did last night? They simply say, what is God saying to you? Have you gotten a word from the Lord? Has he dropped something into your heart? That's what David is doing. He's reminiscing. He's remembering another time. He's remembering an older day. Though he's not really an old man himself, but he's remembering something of some years ago. Oh, it would be nice just to have a glass of water from the well of Bethlehem. 
And some of his men heard it. What he was sighing over became a command to them. Though Bethlehem was out of bounds, though Bethlehem was in foreign territory, though Bethlehem was a dangerous place, though Bethlehem meant risking their lives, if the king had this kind of a desire, then I delight in thee, my Lord, my King, I delight in your presence, O Lord. And they rushed and broke through the ranks, got to Bethlehem, got a flask of water, and came back to the king. Most probably, death speaking, not the Lord, and certainly not the scriptures. Most probably, when they got back in camp, David had not missed them, and David had forgotten all about what he was sighing for a little earlier. Because we do these kind of things. We get a bright idea, say, oh, Lord, that would be nice, and then we forget about it. And then somebody asks you a question, did the Lord ever answer your prayer? What prayer? The prayer you prayed for water. Water? I never prayed for water. King, here's a flask of the water of Bethlehem. Why did you do this? Why did you risk your life? What were you thinking when you did this? Oh, king, live forever. <laughs> this is what we're thinking. We heard you were sigh. And though it was only a sigh, it became a command to us. Now, when I was a boy, a long, long, long time ago. My dad took me to hear one of the incredible evangelists of the time in the UK. A man who had larger meetings in the, in the UK than, um, than Billy Graham ever had. George Jeffries was a unique individual. He was one of three brothers and they were all evangelists and all mightily used the Lord in uh, winning souls, signs and wonders for the ministry of the, of the word. I went to hear George Jeffries, and it was just a few weeks before World War II broke out. So you know, I'm an old man by just simply saying that. I'm in this huge tent which seats about 10,000 people. And the place is jammed. And I am sitting with my dad and my mom close to the front. And George Jeffries gets up and he begins to speak. And in the middle of his message, he picked up his Bible and he put it to his ear and went like this. What's it saying to you? What's it saying to me? I was impressed with that. We took the bus from Cardiff to go home. It was over an hour journey by bus. I get home. It's late. I'm told to go to bed. I'm being an obedient boy. I did slowly. But I picked up my little boy Bible and I put it by my ear. And I, we lived in a very, very small 
two-story house. And I yelled at the top of my voice, it doesn't work! <laughs> my dad comes running up the stairs. What's up with you, Des? Except they always call me Desmond. <laughs> I said, it doesn't work. What doesn't work? I said, this. And I pushed the Bible into his hand. He said, what do you mean it doesn't work? I said, well. I said, how are the man tonight simply say, what's it saying to you? I said, it's not saying anything to me. Is it saying anything to you? Dad sat down by the side of the bed to try to explain to a little boy that the word does speak. Not through your years, but when you read it, it speaks to your heart. Here were a group of young soldiers. They heard the sigh of their master. And they had to do something about it. I submit to you. It is time for the church to hear the heart of Jesus again. We are so preoccupied with political intrigue. We are overwhelmed by some of the iniquities that we are more conscious of what's taking place in the world around us than we are what's taking place in the world above us. Oh, catch it. Please, catch it. We are more familiar with that which is happening around us and we are oblivious to that which is happening above us. Jude says, I am a bond slave. A bond slave of what? Of whom? Because we become slaves to many things. I want you to know very, very honestly, I'm a chocoholic. <laughs> I don't have to eat chocolate. I can look at a box of chocolate and think, that's pretty, that's nice, that's wonderful. But if I take one, you better move that box away or give me a slice of lemon juice that I can break that taste in my mouth. I'm a slave to chocolate. And you can tell by looking at me, can't you? As when Baxter said, we're all a slave to something. Jude says, I'm a slave of Jesus. It is one thing to be church-centered. It's another thing to become creed-centered or to become culture-centered. Jude was Christ-centered. Jesus had not only won his heart, he controlled his mind. That means to say that the imaginations were brought under subjection to the will and to the word of God. He is a whole man. 
He's alive in his spirit. He's alive in his heart. And more than that, no, he's alive in his mind because he's committed himself to the Lord Jesus the Christ. For the church not to be Jesus-centered is the ultimate act of purity. Many, many years ago, when we started Bethesda Christian School, and the first several years of Bethesda Christian School were a disaster. We had high hopes, but we had the wrong people in place. And uh, it really was a tragedy. And so the board asked a very simple question. After they had almost decided to close it down, if it hadn't been for Ray LaRue, they would have closed it down. Ray Little said, I prayed about the school opening up because we spent three months seeking the Lord about the school. He said, I prayed about opening it up and the Lord gave me an assurance it was right to open up the school. He said, but now we talk about closing it down. I have not received a word from the Lord about closing it down. And he turned the board and asked, have you received a word from the Lord? Or are we running away from difficulty? And so when the board agreed, we're not going to close it down. So they asked the question, well, what's going to be the nature of the school? And I said, well, I said, firstly, it needs to be Christocentric is going to be a Christ-centered school. Secondly, it needs to be theonomic. They agreed with that, though some of them didn't know what it meant. Theonomic simply means you abide by the principles of law, both spiritual and scientific that we were not going to have a glorified Sunday school. We were going to have an honest to goodness training, teaching establishment. It was to be covenantal because everything that the church does is, out the, is the outworking of its covenant relationship with the Lord. It was to be doministic because the church believes that we win through many struggles, toils, and snares. We have already come. But the last paragraph happens to be we win because Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it had to be pneumatic. It had to believe in the power and the release of the Holy Spirit. Jude fulfills those five categories. He is convinced of it. And so, see, that, that didn't interest you very, very much. Let me go on to the next thing. Look at his function. Look at his family. <laughs> I like Jude. Jude is not a name dropper. Now, I have a couple of friends who are. You're in the presence in about five minutes. They talk about being with Netanyahu, being with those Perez, being with the, this guy and that guy, being with the... Oh, Obama's secretary and this and there is no way that that guy can know all those people. There just is no way. 
And the list gets longer and longer by the hour. Jude is not a name dropper. He says, my name is Jude. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I think if I had been Jude and I wanted to write a letter to some churches, I would have opened up by some saying, my name is Jude. I'm the brother of Jesus. <laughs> now just imagine what that would mean on your resume. Brother of Jesus. Of course, if you're Catholic, you're going to say, no, cousin of Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're going to call him cousin or brother. I believe he's a brother. But one thing is, hey, I belong in high cotton, whatever that means. You know, I'm in high places. Man, I got pull. I belong to Jesus. Not just in a spiritual sense. Oh, you can belong to Jesus in a spiritual sense, but I belong to Jesus because he's my brother. I had dinner with him. I played marbles with him. I did all kinds of things with him. He's my brother. Can you imagine people reading that saying, wow, ooh, brother of Jesus, wow, that must have been wonderful. Tell us more about it. No, he doesn't say. Brother of Jesus. He says, uh, Brother of James. <laughs> brother of James the Just. In other words, I got a big brother. And I live in his shadow. Now, I've never had the joy or the pain of having a brother or a sister. So I do not know the joy of bossing them around or the pain of being bossed by them. But you know, having an older brother can be a pain in the neck. Particularly if he's head of the church in Jerusalem. I'm Jude. I think you know my brother. <laughs> the humility and the honesty of the man. In fact, like the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul said it so eloquently, he could simply say, but we see Jesus no longer after the flesh. Because the Jesus of the flesh is an expression of humiliation. But the Jesus of the church is no longer the expression of humiliation. He's the King of glory. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's the one who is exalted. He's the one who's uplifted. And Jude is prepared to let himself be seen as something less. Oh, there are people who submit and believe that uh, Jude was an apostle, whether that is true or no. He was certainly sent by someone. 
which would determine the degree of apostleship. Sent by the Lord, made you an apostle of the Lamb, of which there were twelve. Sent by the Holy Spirit, made you an apostle of the Spirit. And there were numbers of them, both then and now. But then there were also apostles of the church. It was the church who dispatched them. Set them here, there, and everywhere. Me? I'm apostle of Mary. <laughs> She's the one who tells me where to go. <clears throat> Jude. Please hear me. Had the grace to operate as a number two. He didn't have to be a number one. I'm not just a born servant of Jesus I speak. When I say that, I speak as a fool. You see, I'm the younger brother of James. Because when he looked at the, the documentation, on one occasion he's number three in the list. On another occasion he's number four on the list. He had grace to function where the Spirit of God had placed him. And that is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Okay, let me hurry on because I can, I'm, I'm boring you to death. Look at his perception. Because the more I read the opening statement in the verse, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, I have to come back to some conclusion. To those who have been called, who, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Look at his description of the church. Because there is a threefold expression, there's a triad given in these verses. He says, those who are called, In other words, those who have responded to a call. That they had heard the message and they had responded to the message. Blessed is the man or woman, boy or girl, who has said yes to Jesus. Those who are called, the Greek word is kletos, and it can mean a variety of things and used quite uh, extensively in classical Greek. It's used as an invitation to a party. We received an invitation yesterday to attend a wedding here in um, Bethesda in a little while. We are called to that wedding. It is uh, used as a subpoena to stand before the bar. in order to give an account. It is used as a challenge to face up to your responsibility. Have you done what I asked you to do? Called. Called by Jesus. 
called for his glory. They've accepted the Lord Jesus and appropriate the expression of his grace. Called. But they're also sanctified. Now that's a difficult word. Because it really is a difficult Greek word to translate into English. One other meaning it literally means sanctified. It means set apart. Set apart for something. When a guy and a girl gets married, they become sanctified. They set apart for each other. Oh, they still have parents, and they still love their parents, and the parents love them. But the parents are no longer the first priority. The first priority is the mate. Set apart. Jude is told to a group of people, you've been set apart. Set apart for Jesus. Set apart for him. There are many who believe that the word literally is um, a corruption of a similar Greek term, which means more than being set apart to or for. The word is beloved or loved. That here the Jude is simply saying to them and of them. Not only are you called, but you are loved. Repeat after me. I am so thankful that I'm loved. I want to say it again. I am so thankful that I am loved. I want you to say it again. I am so thankful that I am loved. we are loved not just by our fellow men as wonderful as that is, but we're loved by the, the creator of all things, the Lord God Almighty. God didn't just love the world, he loves you. He loves me. And Jude's looking at them in this triad, and some saying, you've been called. And the reason why you were called is because you were loved. Or sanctified. But he goes even further. And he says, you are kept. And the Greek word, tereho, simply means you're under surveillance. Now, we know that term in a negative sense here in the United States. They got their eye on you. They know what they say, what you say. They know where that you go. They got their eye on you. See the camera up there. It's watching me. I'm terrified by that thing up there. Several months ago, I got a ticket. The camera got me. <laughs> I vowed it will never get me again. <laughs> Honest Indian, it will never ever get me again. If I got to stop at the stop sign for half an hour, it's not going to get me again. Got him, he's got his eye on us. Not because he's looking for the opportunity to discipline us, and I must be honest if the Lord were that nature, I'd be disciplined on the hour, every hour, and whenever necessary, in between. He's got his eye on me. 
He's got his eye on you because he's concerned where you are at. And he's concerned what you are facing. And he's concerned about that which is taking place in your life. We are kept by him because we are being kept for him. Let me give you a story. In World War II in the, in the UK, we lived under severe restriction of what they call rationing. Every individual, adult, a child, was allowed two ounces of meat a week per person. Now that's not much. You have more than that in one sandwich. They were all, we were also allowed two ounces of candy per week. I think uh, I would be a lot less uh, <laughs> substantial if that were so today. Anyway, I went to visit my beloved grandmother. May she rest in peace. Oh, God have mercy on her soul. In visiting her, she had several daughters. All of them were nurses, and all of them were living rebellion. They all had a call to become involved in missions, and they all turned it down. Some saying, we, we, can, uh, we can serve God here in our town. Anyway, and all three of them went through severe difficulties because I think, no, I can't say that. They went through severe difficulties in life. Anyway, one of these aunts, they had, she had a daughter. And um, so I arrive at grandma's place and it's about four weeks before Christmas. We're gonna be there for a few days and um, my cousin simply said to me, on about the third day out there, I got a secret. I said, what have you got? What kind of secret? He said, I've got a wonderful secret. I said, what is it? He said, come with me. So went upstairs went in the back of a, of a closet and there was a treasure chest, candy. Boxes of candy. I immediately began to drool. <laughs> I said, uh, what are these? Oh, she said, uh, they're for us to, to enjoy. I said, I don't think that would be the reason for them being hidden in the back of this closet <laughs> for us to enjoy. Well, I said, look, all you need to do is have one. And so she opened this box and it was only half full. So I, I ate one and she had about three or four, put the box by and went down, went back downstairs. Little lady, she goes back upstairs. She says, "Me, come." I said, "No, no, I'm not going to go up this time." So she goes upstairs and goes back to the closet, and her mother catches her. And she said, "Well, Des is the one that caught me into this. <laughs> I still got wrinkles on my rear end." from the, uh, the painful interaction that took place. But I will never ever forget the cry of my aunt who said these words, they were being kept for Christmas. So that when we'd have a celebration as a family, we'd have something sweet 
to share. They're being kept for Christmas. I want you to know, my brother, my dear sister, we are being kept for something and for someone special. And Jude said it this way. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, to those who have been called, to those who are loved, and to those who are secure, because they're kept by his favor for the better things which lie ahead. Good night. God bless you. Bye-bye.